Hello and welcome to Property Mastermind Podcast, episode 129. Today, we're talking how to make great money in property developments when the market is going up, down or sideways. Going to be another fair episode. Let's jump on in. And welcome to episode 129, Hilary Saxon and Bob Anderson from Property Mastermind. Hey, Bob. Hey, how are you going? Oh, really? <laughs> you going to ask me that? You know how my morning's been. You know, I'm having one of those mornings, you know, where you kick the side of the bed and then there's no milk left and you reverse into something. I didn't do all of those things, but lots of little things have happened and I've been having a few tantrums. <laughs> it's been a bit heated, eh? It's the temperature, it's the heat. We'll, I, we'll blame the sun. Oh, well, on that. And the fact. Well, that's why, Bob, because you went away for the weekend yeah. and I was at home and the air conditioning broke. Yep. That makes people very unhappy mm. when we're rocking at about 31 degrees. <laughs> I know, it's about 35 inside the house oh because of the gosh. air con cracking it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, oh, that's my first call as mm. soon as the shop opens and we're doing this pre-shop opening. So straight after this podcast, I am on that phone. You are. Crikey. We'll have a air conditioning mechanic within the hour. I hope so. And you say, so I'll ask then, just in, out of politeness, and how are you? <laughs> Not caring. <laughs> no. How busy are you is what we want to know. Get yourself over here. Yes. And, well, hey, Bob, before we kick into uh, how to make money in property development when the market is going up, down or sideways, yes. what's your tip for the week? Oh, well... I went. You just alluded to it. Mm. I went camping on the weekend with my my son, my younger son, although he's twenty three, and we each have a swag and we're all set up and I've got everything in the four wheel drive and it's looking good. And we go to set up camp, sort of just before dark. And guess what? The frame for my swag. Yeah. Back home somewhere. You didn't tell me that. Oh my god. So what happened? You just had like well, a mush pillow. What was I've it? I got a swag that's just sitting on the ground. You know, it has to take form. You have to. Cl- Climb inside there and sleep. Ugh. Fortunately, I did have some rope, so I found a spot between trees and I'm hanging guy, guy ropes off trees and stretching it, trying to get it into a shape that I can at least crawl in at night. A true Australian. True Australian. Anyway, we did ingenuity prevail and uh, I got it to work. Did but you get some photos? I think I think the tip is, mm. and every time I go camping, I, th- I think about it, is to have a really comprehensive checklist mm. to tick it off. To, instead of me, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of running around, oh, I'll have that, yes, I need that, and oh, I need that, and because you forget stuff. Mm. Sounds a bit like property development, Bob. <laughs> have yourself a good checklist. It's funny, we have a good checklist with Don't property we? development. I need one for camping. Yes, okay, you need a checklist for camping. Just on that. Hmm. So he says to me the night before, you're okay that I go, you sure you don't want to come? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I, there's no chance in the world you'd get me camping. I have done my fair share of camping in my life, tons of it. Uh, I used to be a water skier, so we used to camp for about a month over Christmas. But seriously? In camping, New Zealand. Yeah, in New Zealand. Camping, Things don't come out and kill you. I know. Bob sends me a video of a goanna. How how big was it, Bob? Oh, there's a few there, one and a half metres. A few. Even the, the fact that there was more than it one. came right up. To gave me cam- the hoobie boobies. Came right up, came right up to our camp table. Looking for some handouts. Are you serious? Did you feed it? No, I didn't feed it, but it was obviously looking for a feed. How was... close did it get to you? Oh, a metre. Oh, my. I'm, I, honestly, 
I actually would have had a coronary at that. I would not have coped. Yeah. Yeah, so you can keep your camping for you and your son and, yeah. I'll have to remember to get a can of Goanna repellent. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's called a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare. Don't you, don't you dare, you Kiwi, come and attack our native wildlife. Oh, my gosh. I, I remember the first time I saw one before we jump into the topic and I was walking up Mount Kotha. Yeah. In Brisbane, and I saw this giant goanna, and I actually didn't know they existed. I thought it was one of those things from Indonesia, the Komodo dragons. And I thought, I actually thought I was at Jurassic Park. I ran as fast as I could. Oh my gosh! Welcome to Australia. Oh, it was awful, but anyway. Anyway, let's get on. Let's get on track with the whole mm. uh, how to make money in property development, whether the market is going up, down, or sideways. Bob, let's just start by talking about. What are markets? What are property markets? Well, when you're talking about markets, there's markets within markets within markets. So you, know, you could talk about the Australian property market. Well, that's a massive market. Mm. And how many sub-markets are there? Well, there's heaps. What about state? You might say, well, what's the New South Wales property market doing? But you can't answer that question mm. because you've got regional and you've got cities and you've, you know, how do you break that down? You might say, well, what about Sydney? What's the Sydney property market doing? And, you know, that, that can be behaving differently, mm. different suburbs. I can remember back around the time of the GFC when you know, everybody's getting a bit scared because nobody knew what was going on much, particularly the banks. And during that year, 2008, 2009, mm. the, the Bayside suburbs of Melbourne, they're quite upmarket, say Brighton and Sandringham, they went up in value 15% during that year while, you know, the rest of the world's panicking. Yet other parts of that of the same city did nothing. And and some parts, even on the outskirts, went backwards. So and not just I'll just use that as an example, but that that can be happening. Mm. And and you can have suburbs in a city that are going into oversupply, for instance. So just back to what is a market. Well, I think that as property developers, we have to go right down to suburban level and, and even sub-suburban level. Mm. So what's the market doing? It's good to look at the macro market. Like, you know, lots of things drive investment, drive values, you know, big things. Unemployment, that's a national thing, although it can be localised. Uh, you know, like... What are we talking about? We're talking about interest rates. That has an effect. You know, these are big things. These are macro things. But then you can go micro right down to sub-suburban. So it is hard to define a market. Mm. And as a property developer, we're, we're suburban or sub-suburban level. Mm. But we still are affected by the big things, like I mentioned, you know, interest rates, inflation, the, what, what the RBA the, is doing. What and, is their biggest impact on it, Bob? Which one is the well, – oh, I actually got – I'm going to throw something in when you answer oh, it. Oh, here yeah. we go. No. <laughs> <laughs> you love throwing things at me. Yeah. The biggest driver of growth, mm. you know, increasing in value, uh, you know, property growth, has been population growth. That's right. been the driver. Always, pretty Not much. Not always. Uh, and we had a great example coming out of the back of COVID mm. that we had a huge increase in – property prices that had nothing to do really with growth because there was no international migrants. This is what I was going to bring up. Oh. That's when the, the government got involved and they played around with it. Eh? It wasn't yeah. nat wasn't happening naturally. It wasn't a natural thing, no. Yeah. 
explain that so people Well, understand. let me take a step back. Prior to, so prior to COVID, and now it's happening again, Yeah. population growth is the biggest factor that drives up values. Mm-hmm. And 60% of our property population growth was overseas migration. Yeah. Now, we know that just died during COVID. 40% is natural growth, yeah. you know, births versus deaths. But while there was no overseas migration coming, which is the biggest driver of population, we had that big boom. So that came off the government incentives at the back of COVID. Whether they were good or bad, you know, it's debatable, but they wanted to drive the economy. The biggest way to do that is property because there's so many things that hang off property, mm. you know, so many so many businesses and industries that, that work with property, such mm. a big market, and it was easiest for them to play with, and they did. And and it, and it and that plus the euphoria of coming out of COVID and you know didn't re- didn't really die and um, you know realizing that the human race survived it. Yeah, most did. Most. Yeah, after people scaring us to death, and uh, so you know that that euphoria, and then that fear of missing out as, as value started to move. And, you know, that, that had one of the biggest increases in property values ever with almost very little organic property growth. And that not having enough Yeah, uh, but that's product. extreme. I mean, that, yeah, but that, that freaked people out. Mm. People were panicking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and the rush for the beach. Yeah. Uh, and, and the rush for, well, initially the rush to the country, mm. you know, get away from the cities, Get away from the pandemic and all this sort of stuff, and then and then the rush to the seaside. Mm. People are saying, "Well, I'm not going to wait till I'm retired to pack up my bags and go to the beach. I'm going to do it now while I'm still alive." Sort mm. of thing, you know. It's mm. weird times. So I go when you think back on it, it's so weird. But anyway, uh, so those sort of big big drivers. But ultimately, we have to we have to study our market. Yeah, down to the bottom. But yeah, look, and those two things probable we're hoping won't happen again we mm. won't have something like covid uh, affecting and sending us all somewhat crazy uh, fall into that category well, if it you might wish. be a bit different next time there's a pandemic and the, around and the government probably isn't going to do that sort of um muck around with god knows what the government will do but but yeah i mean it's uh it's not something that happens too often so we've got to look at what normally happens and we've got to look at normal market drivers and sort of base our decisions on that but then you know we're also talking about the residential market yeah but then there's the whole commercial market which is you know what we call commercial industrial and retail Mm. that can be behaving quite differently from from residential markets as well I think that's something that when you're new to property development or even you may be doing some for a while but you don't Mm. actually consider that that while one particular product and we could even go down to duplexes and townhouses. Yeah. But if we were to compare residential yeah. with um, the commercial, whether that be industrial or whatever it is, they are they can behave completely different mm. at the same time. It's almost like, what do you call a seesaw that's got four on it? It's almost <laughs> like you can, we've got products, yeah. you know, as in residential versus a, a, um, commercial, yeah. but then we've got areas versus, mm. you know, yeah. the markets and, and they, they all play a part. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, the macro and the micro. That, that You just reminded me of, a, of something when you were talking about even, say, residential products behaving differently. Mm. I cast my mind back to Brisbane. I pro- cast my mind back. Ooh. 
Do you like that? <laughs> yeah, I do. I cast my. I'll use that in a speech for sure. Well, yeah. I didn't. Not, that's that's an oldie. It's probably too old for you, which is why you don't know it. It's great in it. It's great in a speech, though. Anyway, yeah. sorry. So once again, I'm cast my mind back to <laughs> 2014 or thereabouts. Yeah. And let's just take a locality. It was mm-hmm. Brisbane, right? So, yep. so for a couple of years, we'd been developing. Uh, yeah, not not really apartments, basically townhouses and some subbies. Around 2014, the Brisbane City Council introduced a new planning scheme. It was the first one since 2000. The 2001 had lots of band-aids all over it and it was time for a new one. The way they pointed it is they drove it towards doing apartments. Mm. They wanted What they wanted to do under some pressure from the state government, they wanted to increase densities mm. in Brisbane and obviously apartments are a higher density use of land than townhouses. So the new scheme tended to push development a bit more towards apartments. You could still do townhouses, but there were sort of incentives towards apartments. And also in three suburbs that where they wanted more apartments, they upzoned it from what was normally a typical two-storey townhouse mm. to where you could do five-storey apartment blocks. Wow. And so what that did, that sucked in a lot of activity. So a lot of people went in there, they're buying up land, they're getting DAs for apartments. And and those that were really quick bought sites before a lot of the landowners knew about the upzoning and what Mm. was happening. So they're buying sites for five-storey apartments that were really getting bought for townhouse sites. So where you might get four townhouses on an 800-metre lot previously you're now getting like 14 apartments mm. on a five-storey building with ground-level parking. So, and so the entrepreneurs led. Uh, others then just bought it at market value, getting DAs. So what it really meant, cut the story back a bit, is that lots and lots of apartments were approved and and start and got built. Brisbane traditionally wasn't a place where there's lots and lots of apartments, not like, say, Melbourne or Sydney even. Mm. And it reached a point where, first of all, how how do you market them? So a lot of overseas buyers were around at the time, that 2014-15 mark, you know. It's before the clamps were put on uh, overseas purchases, both what happened in China, because the Chinese government put the clamps on and we put the clamps on here a fair bit. So a lot of them were, first of all, sold to overseas purchases and then interstate purchases. Because people in Melbourne thought, well, I could buy two apartments for the price of one in Sydney, I'll Mm. buy two. Mm. But nearly all investment markets stopped. And so that market, like, hit a peak, had to come off the boil a bit. They were hard to sell. There was too many of them. You know, it was an overheated market. At the same time, in the same city, you're flat out finding new, new townhouse developments because the move was, like, more towards apartments even small apartment blocks, you know, six-packs. And so there was a bit of a shortage of townhouses while there's a big oversupply of apartments. And then land, you couldn't get it, you know, blocks of land. And I can remember uh, my son Luke at the time, he was wanted to buy, uh, he wanted to build a new house, wanted to buy a block of land, build a new house. And he, he scoured everywhere looking for one. He finally like found out a fairly large estate, but he had to, sign an expression of interest two years before the land would be ready. Holy heck. And about a year out, 
they were he was buying land that was two stages ahead of what was being developed. It was wow. just cow paddocks, basically. wasn't buying it. He couldn't settle on. You had to put an EOI down. And then eventually they got to a point where they were about a year out mm. and, and, they, and you could sign off plan contracts on the land. And then when it came time to settle, they had five backup contracts on the, on the lot that he Whoa. wanted to buy. And so here you are in a situation in the same city at the same time People are waiting like two years to get into this new estate That's to buy nice. land where townhouses are in fairly short supply and there was a massive oversupply of apartments all at the same time, same city, mm. all residential but different products. And in fact, the whole unit market, apartment market, had been targeted at middle ring suburbs investor market. There was actually a shortage of three-bedroom owner-occupier market in, in the upmarket areas. I read fairly early what was going to happen and pretty well extricated myself out of those two-bedroom investment apartments, except for the last project I did. I had to discount that a bit. And then started to do some three-bedroom, not two-bedroom, mm. owner-occupier, not investor, upmarket suburbs, not average middle ring suburbs. Apartments or yeah, apartments. apartments. Okay. So even the apartment market, although I say it's saturated, it was saturated with smaller two-bedroom apartment investor stock in the middle ring suburbs, mm. not what I moved to quickly, which was good, three-bedroom apartments, purely owner-occupier mm. in upmarket suburbs, and they were doing well. So even apartments was separated hugely mm. by, by the buyer versus and the location. The, yeah, renter and, location. And, and yeah. bedroom size, I suppose. Yeah, Do like you know three, what? Not two. You've just pointed out there's something that I wanted to bring up, Bob, and that is to be street smart. Mm. So for you to read that market, know that it was coming, and then pivot, you know, mm. change. <laughs> use the COVID word. Love that word. I haven't used that word for I know, a while. it has been a while. I think I've used it in a podcast somewhere. So... If, but you pivoted in time, and you you just had that Almost last in time. Yeah, you, were you already um, were you too deep in to get out of the other one or not? Oh, yeah, I was well advanced on one project. Yeah. Um, well advanced, yeah, t too far. Well, it started construction, and you said uh, heavily discounted. So what did that not, not mean? heavily? Heavily still made a profit. Yeah, but probably the way it worked out at the time. These things were selling for about four hundred and fifty. Mm. We used to make about eighty thousand dollars net profit on an apartment. I think by the time I discounted those, we made about forty thousand. Uh, right. So I didn't we still make yeah. a profit, mm. but not at the margin that we wanted would have wanted to. But yeah. hey, like that's one of the things. You were about, just cracking Shandor, not Bollinger, at the end. Is that what we're saying? I was cracking a few tinnies, I think. <laughs> oh, no. oh no, you were just on the tinnies. That's Ooh. back to the tinnies. Oh, but dear. Um, I Before mean, <laughs> that, that that raises something else with property development. Mm. There's quite a lot of fat in it. If yes. you think about, mm. if you think about your margin, let's say you're doing a project where your margin is 20% on cost. Yep. That's your profit. Well, the market has to drop by that much before you even lose a dollar. Yeah. And the markets, if you have a look at how much markets have dropped at their worst in the last 100 years in Australia, they haven't dropped that. And, and when I say markets, I'm probably talking, you know, state or national markets, not, yep. not a locality. Mm. You know, you can have a regional town that runs a one industry and that industry leaves and, you know, unemployment's 25%. So I'm not talking about stuff like mm -hmm. that. So so you have a big buffer. That's what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Your buffer is your profit with property development. So if even if things turn on the way like that one did, yeah. I only made half the profit I'd, I had 
hope to make, mm. but I was still fine. Those that didn't get out, uh, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think many lost money, but some probably barely made much at all mm. uh, at that time. Uh, and it was slow going. You couldn't sell off plan. You had to finish your apartment block and then put it to the market. Where it, What got hurt a bit was probably rentals, rentals dropped because remember a lot of those early sales were made by overseas purchasers. Mm. Well, they either buy it and just don't rent it or they rent it and now you're talking the rental market. Mm. All the inter, uh, interstate buyers from, you know, Victoria and Sydney who bought in quite, you know, early in the piece, they want renters. You know, and there's only so many renters in a locality. Mm. That's why the owner-occupier owner one went well for me when I when I sort of got out of it. It's a great reminder of why financiers can be, you know, a bit tough because yeah. they need to know that their butt's covered should something happen, and that kind of kind of really explains mm. that. You brought up something else, Bob, when you were talking then about the uh, the market having to sell. You could no longer sell off plan. That's very interesting. So people were not prepared to buy unless they had some sort of emotional attachment. Is that what you were saying? Or they well, felt safe with because it? Because there was, was it? yeah, because there was a lot of apartments, not not just on the market, but being built. Mm. You know, there's like 12, 15 months supply coming through. Remember in those days, you know, we could build a five-storey apartment block in nine months. Yeah. Now you're flat out getting a builder to get, build you a duplex or a house builder to build your house in nine months. So we could, Even a dick on your house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. So <laughs> we, could, we could punch out a five-storey building in nine months. Mm. And and so it's not a big lag time, mm. you know, in terms of, you know, predicting markets. But, but uh, you can still get a change in that time. As well. And bill costs went up at the same time. Mm, just like now. Because builders that were building apartments were really busy and tradies and they could, yeah, yeah back. we'll go back a, a step, you know, back to – and that was local. Mm. Uh, that was a Brisbane-orientated thing that was actually brought about by the by the council, as it turned out. So, Bob, that, that sort of you being street smart and able to – able to, you know, see that happening. Always looking at the market, yeah. trying to predict markets, looking ahead. So that was one part of the market. Yeah. That I saw the city plan was going to drive it that way, that it was going to drive a lot more towards apartments. And a couple of sites that we had, we pivoted mm. to do something else so other than what was obviously going to be too much. That brings me to, because I've got a few points that I want to cover okay. off for people to understand, and one of them is data. Was this mm. data-driven for you? Like data is your best friend. So the, the first point is you need to be street smart, which Bob mm. was, he was like, hold on, got to make a change. But was this data-driven or how did no, you? No, it's not, because data can only ever be past, past ah, data. right. Past data or current. Future is predictions, it's not data. So where were you getting your info from, Bob? Well, you look for lots of sources. So in this case, there were changes made. There was a whole new town plan, city plan brought out. Yep. And so I attended some of the meetings where they were talking about the proposals, you know, because they were taking public feedback on it. Mm. But but really, councils already know what they're going to do. That, that's just a token when they have get ask the public to join in and comment. The public will join in and comment. The they just do what set. they want anyway. Yeah, of course. But it, that sounds like men in general. It, makes, it just makes <laughs> people feel okay like they've had yeah, a say. men in general, you know. I'm thinking. So, so, but, but I followed that and, and you know, talking to town planners, some of them had actually 
I knew a town planner who had worked on the city plan because sometimes, like when they do a whole new town plan, they sometimes bring in external, right? You know, high, high level town planning consultants yeah. to help them as well. And I knew one of them, so I sort of had a little bit of a tip and well, I wouldn't call it on the way it was heading mm. and what I was doing, and I was mostly doing five story apartment blocks at the time, and 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 then I could read it. So that wasn't data driven. That was saying this planning scheme is going to change. And it's going to put a lot, there's going to be a lot of apartments getting built. And I don't want to go into an oversupply situation. So I pulled back. One of them was under construction. Couldn't do anything about that. And that was the one I had to discount a bit at the end. Uh, so that wasn't data driven. But but the thing about data is like as property developers, I, I look at the I look at the big thing that, that's happening. You know, mm. I look at interest rates. Like we were tracking all those interest rate rises. And you're trying to predict, well, when, when's it going to stop? And what effect have those increases having on your market, mm. say on your purchases, and of course, what what effect does it have on your on your feasibilities uh, as well? So, so it wasn't just following the council town plan; it was also looking at interest rates. Back then, it was because yeah. I could see a big thing. Normally, a town plan's probably fairly static, so we know what yep. we can do pretty much. So we're looking at so I'm looking at the macro things. You know, I'm, I'm obviously I was tracking interest rates. I knew when inflation spiked, but remember that two of the big drivers of the inflation was the big increase in house values. That's a big driver of inflation mm. and fuel prices. And a lot of that came out of not having big supplies of fuel here and what was happening in the Ukraine. So two, and that made it spike and jump to seven plus, but they were just two things. But then we've seen you know, the basket of goods, as it were, you know, we've seen inflation come up. So so it's obvious when inflation rises that the RBA is going to use the only stick they've got to belt you with, and that's interest rates. So <laughs> it's obvious that they were going to go up. The point is how much do they go up when do they stop, you know, and, and so you're trying to predict when it's when they're going to tap out. And I probably got it right to within 125 basis point. I wasn't quite predicting the last one. I thought it came a bit quick, but then I think it's had it. But, like, you're always looking at those macro markets. You're looking at unemployment, but look, well, this unemployment's way, like, it's crazy. Well, it's, it's lifting. The unemployment rate's lifted a little bit, but it's still way below the long-term average. Mm. I actually watched, need more unemployment. Yeah, I watched <laughs> something this morning about that. Yeah. yeah gosh, am I turning into you watching stuff about that anyway? Well, but then, like, we haven't had price growth. I'm oh, not price growth, like, wages growth a lot. There's been pressures, but it hasn't. And and so, you know, there has been some, in more recent times, there's been wage growth, which sort of comes off the back of inflation because workers want to earn more money because they're paying more at the, you know, at the mm. checkout. Mm. Uh, but it's called making the ends meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, you, you never get everything in pure balance. No. You know, there's, there's sort of like a, a probably not too bad unemployment rate, which might be sort of like... Well, different economists will have different opinions because it's not just the unemployment rate. There's a whole heap of other things that impact on it. But they might say, you know, 4.5% might be good or 5 you know, and then, well, then what's a good interest rate, mm. you know, and that, that's like that's driven by lots of things and not just what happens in Australia either. But That sort we, of... You know, they were never going to stay at 2%. No, no, home no, no. Rate, you know, Gosh, no. 1.9 something. And that, I mean, that all of that stuff consolidated affects mm. us as property developers yeah. but I think what you just alluded to Bob is that you you were you were street smart and it's not about data because so how is because data is about current and past so yeah. how is data useful in helping you uh, to I think trends 
trend, not, oh, data trends, yeah, not, got you. Not yeah. look at the data today and say, okay, this month or this week, this is it. It has, to, it has to be taken into context. Yeah. And so you, it's more trending. Like when interest rates started to go up, it was obvious we weren't going to get one or two increases. No. I didn't know where it was going to end. I, I did predict actually right at the beginning it was probably interest, uh, like the standard variable home loan, loan rate was going to tap at about one and a quarter, uh, five and a quarter, sort of gone five and a half. So I was probably not too far out on that, but that's sort of what it needed to get to. Mm. And it creates a bit of pain for people obviously, but, but you know, it has to work as well. And, and, and so that's not a, not a data-driven thing. Mm. But I think using it to using data to to, to try and predict trends as much as mm. you can. But you're looking at lots of things, but particularly you're looking at local. You know, I'm talking about the macro stuff when I'm talking about that. But but, as in for people developing what, mm. and looking for where your market's going to be, where where your patch is going to be. Yeah. So that's what we're talking and, and the macro side of that. We've chosen patches like. Like we've had a patch where we've done some projects, we've sort of withdrawn from that patch now because mm. it's sort of tending towards a bit of oversupply. But but that's not for long. Oh, that's only it's only for a period of time. Mm. Look, just because something gets a bit overheated now doesn't mm. mean it'll stay that way. Mm. And, and the thing about you turn the element down, it just cools <laughs> off a bit before it turns back up. <laughs> the thing about property development is we're often having to predict as best we can two years in advance. You think about this. Yeah. And particularly at the moment when build times are still still slow. Yes. If you're doing, say you're doing a, a duplex, could easily be a 20-month project. And in some states could be beyond 24 months. How long do you get an approval? There's there's places, there's councils in Australia that you'll spend nine months getting an approval or, or more for a duplex. And then you've got to get your building permit, then you've got to choose your builder, then you've got to get it built, then you've got to get it sold. It, it could be a 20, 26-month project. It's ridiculous. Then there's other parts of Australia where you get much quicker development permits. Mm. Probably your build time is, is still slow mm. and it might be probably, you know, about as tight as you'll get it. would be about 20 months in most cases, you know. So, so you might not be selling your product for 18 to 20 months mm. or in some cases even 24 months. You're selling into a market that's two years off existing. Mm. What's it going to be like then? It's a crystal ball. How do you know? You know, but you, there are things that you can do. Indicators. To look, indicators. Yeah. Like in terms of market corrections and prices going backwards, we've had it. You know, it, it finished almost a year ago. And I'm just talking about capital cities at the moment. I'm not talking about suburbs because you'd, you'd have to know which suburb you're talking about. Mm. Uh, but the increases, we've had a month-on-month increase every every month, you know, capital cities average but they've been very low. But now look at the migrant population that's coming back in. You're mm. talking about 300,000 coming back in in a year. That And, and these aren't poor people. These are, are these purchases or renters, Bob? They're renters initially and then they become purchases. But, like, you know, the, these are people who've had to earn their way here, yeah. mostly professional people, high, yeah. higher income uh, people. You know, so they're, not, they're not refugees. No, we're looking at people who are looking for decent places to rent. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of them, we know a lot of the interstate overseas migration does go to Sydney and goes to Melbourne, yeah. goes to Britain. You now, it is spread around a bit. The two big cities get most of it. And that, that's a big driver population growth, as we talked about. Now, overseas migration, as, a, as I 
a lot, not just me, everybody knew it's going to create a lot of pent-up demand, you know, yep. at the back end of COVID when they're allowed to come back in. Mm. There's a lot of pent-up demand and and uh, and it obviously happened. Mm. And they didn't just see Australia as a great place to work, but they saw it as a very safe place compared to a lot of places so, you know, at the back end of COVID. So. I think we're looking, I, I read some numbers last week, uh, in the next 12 months was 600,000, which I thought mm. it was going to be 800. It was around 580. I did read something Probably in the somewhere. next two years. <clears throat> Whatever that was. Yeah. But, well, for people developing, thinking, okay, rentals, are these families, are these individuals coming in? What does this t- say to the people that listen to this? What, what does it say right now? It's well, a good time to develop what and where for, if we're looking at overseas migration. Well, that'll go to the capital cities. Yep. But it'll, it, it'll drive the economy as well. It'll drive the market a lot. But As in it'll but spike still, prices. Yeah, remember there's still a lot of Australians – Population mm, growth is solid. Yeah, you know we've got uh, kids de- wanting houses. Deaths versus births, mm. but then you know we've got a, a lot of you know twenties, thirties coming through the market if they've been saving their pennies. Oh, that's our next podcast, I think, Bob. Have to tell me more about that. Just those, just you know, getting into Stay that tuned. housing market, getting into the yeah. development market, saving the money to yeah. get started. Yeah, but you know. At, at just our organic population growth in Australia, not even considering overseas migration, is still very solid. Yeah. Of all the OCD countries, it's it's right up there on a percentage basis. So, mm-hmm. uh, so there's there's lots of reasons for developing. There's lots of locations, but you mentioned before, just because a location doesn't work now, and it might not work now because it's a little bit overheated. Mm-hmm. So say say an area moves into oversupply. Too many people have built duplexes in this area. Too many people are building. Not so much apartments so these days, although that'll happen again. Well, guess what? It's not going to stay oversupplied for all that long because developers will start to see there's a bit of an oversupply. They'll back off. People mm. stop buying sites there for a while. People stop getting DAs there for yep. a while. People have got DAs even might not build for a while. Mm. And that and that oversupply will get mopped up. And then it can even turn back into, you know, in two years' time, there could be a bit of an undersupply. Because people had backed off. Mm. You know, the, the oversupply might have been mopped up in nine months. But then we know a project can take two years sometimes. Huh? Mm. So, so you can go from oversupply to undersupply. And that goes back to what following trends, doesn't it? Remember a while ago we were down in Brisbane and talking about apartments and there are an awful lot of smaller two, one or two bedrooms quite close to the city and maybe mm. that's similar to Melbourne and Sydney as well. Yeah. But there, there's a lot more happening and I said to you, isn't this going to create an oversupply and devalue the the ones there? And you said it'll more than likely have the opposite effect, which yeah. I hadn't considered, meaning that it'll create more of a demand, more people will want to go there, and it'll lift up the prices. Because I just thought, oh, yeah. the older ones would lose their value. Well, it'll, it'll lift them up yeah. because replacement value. Right. So any new developments of any sort, it costs more to build now. Right. And the land costs more. So you have to sell them for more to make your margin. Hmm. Now, sometimes you've got to wait for the market to catch up a bit on some things. Mm-hmm. And we've seen apartment builders buying sites, but they've got a three- to five-year view on big apartment blocks, mm-hmm. but they know they know it's coming, you know. And so, yeah, like whatever it costs to build a one-bedroom apartment today is more than a cost, say, five years ago, yeah. same with the land component. Mm-hmm. 
And so you have to sell it at a margin. It'll, it'll just drag those prices up. That's the way the market always does. You know, whatever is the going rate will drag it up and, and it will. Oversupply is a temporary thing. Yeah. It comes and goes. It never stays that way. One of the biggest examples of oversupply that, you know, eventually writes itself would have to be the Gold Coast market. You know, it has a boom where you get like thousands and thousands and thousands of apartments oversupplied and then it just stops. And then slowly <laughs> and then there's homeless it, it, gets, people. it gets mopped up. <laughs> yeah. It is a maturing market. It's not as bad as it used to be like mm. that, but, you know, like particularly in my day there, you know, it takes two or three years and they mop it all up. Mm. And then it starts going into undersupply, and next thing developers will jump back in, you know. That's sort of like an extreme market that, that is maturing. So, Bob, if we were to wrap this one up, because we're, we're getting on, it, it's getting past people's listening time. Yeah. So if we if we were to, two things, we've got to give away the book, but if we were to, in summary, hmm. uh, how to make money in a, in a market that's good going up, going down, or moving sideways, can you give me your, your top, few tips there well when when it's going up i mean that's always good because you do a feasibility today you'll probably make more money when you get there unless mm. it changes going sideways that it'll only do that for so long so you need to say is it likely to go up remember markets go up for a lot longer period than they ever go down that's why property values great go up. tip there i don't say that again bob property <laughs> values go up for a longer period of time than they ever go down when they go down it's usually a, a fast correction often due to an oversupply but not always so remember that more often than not if you do a feasibility in a project you make more money at the other end than you intended at the beginning mm -hmm. but you don't want to necessarily go the other way so you know if if you need to sit on a project if the market in your area changes that much and you need to sit on it or even sell it, be prepared to not make a profit and, and maybe look at another area, like this is in a tough market. Yep. If you can sit it out or an alternative use yep. for that product, you know, I'm talking about more tough times. Yes. But remember you do have a buffer as a property development, mm. as a property developer, but getting it financed is the thing. If it gets financed and it goes quieter while you're building, well, you're going to make less profit, that's all it is. And as long as you've been financed and you had a good profit margin yeah. and you and you've done your feasibility correctly and your due diligence, well, yeah. then you'll should you. But if there is good. a tip, yeah, it's have a look at the macro market. Mm. Those sort of things that affect the whole of Australia, just but you know, get an understanding of that. But it's right down to suburban level or even sub suburban level when mm. it comes to developing. So understand that market. What's going on? Talk to as many agents as you can that sell new projects. You know, just really try and understand that market, mm. where it's going, who's buying, owner occupiers, investors. What are they looking for? Mm. You know, what, what, where the demand is in that suburb. And I'd almost add a wee bit more there is, unless that person's an absolute expert. I'd, I'd talk to a few people in the real estate game because there's, oh, there's never always one. no, there's always, you know. Just because somebody's rowdy doesn't mean they know everything. No, usually, usually it's the rowdy ones that, <laughs> that don't know all that much. But yeah, social yeah. media, be careful. Um, <laughs> Very careful. And so they're, they're great tips, Bob. Big chat this morning yeah. on, on the economy and property development. We're going to, going to give away the book today to Marina Nest. Woohoo! This Ooh, is coming wow. out to you. I spoke to you this Pretty week. Present. Yes, it'll be in the post. I even have your address. So it will go in the post today. And remember, you still have time to get your copy of Vath. Uh, oh, you won't have time. Oh, you should know. You probably won't make it. 
three wines and unless you want to get it for a new year's read off hillarysaxton.com we put a link in the well, bottom might, might shameless plug for my up own with somebody book. for a little while after christmas so get it yes. any females in your life need to see that book they do well not just see it need to need read, to read it. it all righty well thanks everybody i hope you got a lot out of our episode today and we will oh this is coming out um not that we're in the new year this is 2024 this this podcast or is it this week well can't remember actually no this might be this week let's make it this week. okay this week this is prior to christmas this is a pre-christmas one Mm-hmm. Which reminds me, for those of you in our community, last Q and A for the year we're having a drink. So if you're on our Q and A um, on Wednesday night at five Brisbane time, six your time, if you're not, or three or wherever you are, three thirty or four thirty, <laughs> uh, whatever our time, we, it's we five. We have people coming in from overseas on our Q and A. We do on occasion. So remember, it's a glass of wine time. But anyway, we will catch you uh, next week. Look forward to it. Oh, bye for now. Bye.